Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. What's up, Fungal Associates? Welcome to Completely Arbitrary, the podcast about trees and other related topics. I am one of your hosts. My name is Alex Croson, and I'm alongside, as always, the incredible, the edible Casey Clapp. That's me, Alex. Good day, good evening, good morning, and good night. Good day to you, Casey. Yes, I'm reading through the last of a book here. Casey has so much, did so much research for this episode that he is cramming a little bit in as we speak. That's exactly right. Did you know that Athena... The daughter of the supreme god Zeus gave the uh, the olive tree uh-huh. our subject today, Alex. Yeah, to the Athenians. Wow, there you go. You know that's that's almost as good as giving fire to the mortals. Yeah, thanks, Athena. Anything else? <laughs> wow, it's like digging into your stocking at uh, at the holidays and yeah. Christmas and being like, what? This is it. And you hit That's the bottom it? and it's like loose M&Ms. Yeah, you like you, you ate all the rest. You just poured the rest of them back. This is this is this is a charade. Well, Casey, as you alluded, today we are talking about a very versatile, delicious little guy. Uh yes, we are and Alex, uh, before we get into that, I oh. sorry, I skipped over everything. That's okay. How are you? Okay. That's good. I like your hat. Thanks. I got a little little black beanie yeah, on. I think beanies are my favorite style of hat. I've Is that grown so? I've grown my hair out though, mm-hmm. and thus it doesn't work as well. Oh sure, yeah. It's you, my... You're more of the actually. What's funny is that you showed up here uh, this week to record. Yep. And I said, "Oh my god, you got a haircut." Yes, that's true. Uh, because right now your hair is like i don't know like 10 inches long yeah it goes down it, it touches my shoulders yeah it it, it, uh, it it tickles the tops of my <laughs> of my uh of my torso right <laughs> um <laughs> i don't know why that was so gross uh but but nay you hadn't gotten a haircut you were hiding it with a hat correct i put it all in a bun and uh stuck the bun out the uh the uh the, the back end of the hat where, yes. you, where you put it together your transformation yeah. is complete exactly i'm now i am now a um uh bun guy yeah yeah you're, you're mega casey i you said actually uh i grew my hair out one time and you said casey i think i actually had it in a bun at the time mm. and you said wow you've reached your final form <laughs> did i say the, that yeah you did it was the best compliment i've ever had because <laughs> I, I, I don't know just, maybe it's just i looked uh, i don't know it felt good felt yeah well, good. well casey are you are, how are you doing are you feeling good today i am i'm feeling very good i got a an i ordered a mattress for this uh big trip that's coming up oh yeah and it would go in the back of the truck and uh got it i believe it's finally been delivered today i ordered it on the 23rd of september right a proper odyssey getting this mattress oh my god yeah yeah i ordered several other things after that and they all arrived late but still before this thing this wow. mattress ah! anyway other than that i'm feeling really good so Wonderful. It's, it's not a rainy day got a bunch of things going on feeling nice let's see what else uh, what else is going on i'm really I'm, i want to play the drums i have not played the drums oh. in months wow and i've been itching for up? it no i don't because i have like it's in the room that i do business things in oh uh, including backpacking business things yeah so i have like stuff in the way so i just need to like clear it out set it up bang on them for a while mm-hmm. and then just put them away and be like <laughs> tear them all down ah, this feels good <laughs> yeah because I, I can't uh, maybe if I do it correctly I can like sit on the drum throne mm-hmm. and then like play some cool beat twist around send some stickers to our lovely patrons yeah. who have bought us a bunch of stickers yeah. twist back around drum a little bit more then twist back around one more time and then like look up you know what's this tree where's that ground how's that work you know that sounds like a great multitasking event. Yeah, I think so. I'm going to a frisbee tournament this weekend. Uh, it's going to be really great. Uh, I haven't played in like another couple of weeks. I don't know. It just feels like there's this big lull and everything, and now things are ramping up in a in a nice way. That's wonderful. Yeah, so everything feels good. Good and, for you. Yeah, yeah. Timbers are playing. What can go wrong? 
<laughs> well, I shouldn't say that right now. The Timbers aren't doing very well. Life has blessed you with joy, my friend. I appreciate you being a part of this joy, my Alex. Pleasure. And Casey, it's also a joy to talk about this week's tree, the olive. Uh, yes, it is. Olea. Olea. Europea. You're, now say that in a normal Casey accent. Oh, sorry. Because I'm curious what the second, how you say the second word. Ah, olea. Uh huh. Europea. Europea. Okay. That's what I would say. Yes, and, me and too. It's, yeah, it's pronounced or it's spelled E U R O P A E A. Yeah. And that's, I think, like so classically Latin, isn't it? With like the A E A or the, the A E that are like mashed together. So it looks yeah. like one thing. They like share a line. So today we're talking about the olive, the Olea Europea. That's right. Uh, Casey, let's imagine, as we do every gosh darn episode, that you and I are walking through an olive orchard. Mm-hmm. Uh, potentially in the south of France. Yes. Uh, or, you know, Italy or Greece. Yeah, or Turkey, almost mm-hmm. anywhere. Northern, or like uh, Tunisia, surely. Okay. Mm-hmm. And we come across some olive trees because, yes. again, just like uh, the almond, we are in an orchard. Yeah, it's uh, It's easy to come across olive trees in an olive orchard. And uh, I will ask you, Casey, please, let's... Talk about mm. this tree. You got it. An olive tree. It's a gorgeous little tree. This, I think, will cap off our trilogy of, um, broadly speaking, European, uh, or rather Mediterranean trees, oh. which, of course, have spread up through Europe and spread over um, to the south and to the uh, east of what? the basin of the Mediterranean. What were the first two? Uh, the pomegranate. Oh, yes. As well as the one we just did last week, hazelnut. That's right. My yes. Gosh. So the, this, at least we did, of course, the, the, the European hazel from Avella, the, right. the wild nut. Um, so all these are small trees that were initially grown and started to be cultivated down in this Mediterranean region. And um, so it's it's interesting, you know, we're, we're always consciously kind of aware of like a Euro bias towards things. Yeah. And so as soon as we did this tree, it's like, ah, another tree from this same area. Mm. And I, I didn't even think about it when we were choosing these trees. Um, a, because the uh, the hazelnut, we grow it from in Oregon all the time. So my thought is hazelnut, Oregon. And I was like, oh, shoot, it's not the native one. Um, so this kind of trilogy is really indicative of a lot of these cultures in Mesopotamia, where it was grown and, and cultivated throughout this entire region. From Israel over to um, India and in Afghanistan, northern Africa, all the way up through, um, like you said, southern France in that area. I see. And if you were walking through these regions at any point in the last approximately 8,000 or 10,000 years, Mm -hmm. you would probably find a couple of these trees growing near a small village. Great. And these are trees that are kind of short, shrubby-ish trees. However... I will argue that this one, in fact, will come out on the tree side of our spectrum of what exactly does that mean. 100%. Of all the photos I'm seeing, there's no way anybody could call this a shrub. Yeah, and it doesn't grow in a shrubby way that they just have uh, kind of uh, stamped down and forced it to become, you know, a tree. They haven't suppressed its shrub-like qualities. Yeah. It just has this one single stem that comes up. Um, specifically, this is actually in the Oleaceae family, which has oppositely arranged uh, leaves and oh, yeah. buds, which includes the ash trees for Scythia, also includes the um, jasmine flowers or jasmine plants. And then, of course, uh, the one of my favorites, it's the Cheonanthus, uh, the fringe tree, which also has these really beautiful, beautiful flowers that come out. And these are all in that family, which is another one of those families that are all oppositely arranged, which is important because that makes them really easy to identify. Well, Casey, let's describe these leaves. They're... they're uh kind of average looking they you know what yeah that's fine for you to say it i i think you're you're not wrong except for one characteristic Ooh, what is that the color the color i adore the color of this olive tree foliage right it is like a pale kind of gray green Mm -hmm. yeah it Uh, really is very pastel it's gorgeous i see it as like um a grayer version of a seafoam green yeah less green more gray yes it's very seafoamy yeah and as you see it like it it looks almost like a ghost of a tree you know yeah it does so it's really dainty they have so these opposite ranged lanceolate skinny leaves about two to four inches long and the leaves like you said are gray kind of dappled white with a little bit of like 
like uh, like olive. Honestly, there's a color olive. It's because they oh, they yeah. have such a unique color, right? They're totally olive color. Yeah, they exactly. Man, these trees really are olive color. They're right? very on brand. These trees. They really are. They they've defined a lot of our like cultural sort of things. You know how we view things. Oh, it tastes like an olive. Oh, it looks like an olive. You mm-hmm. know, olive is a is a kind of of type. Right. Yeah. So they have that, uh, of course, as they grow, you get these, uh, these, the morphology of the tree, again, as a tree, grows to be no more than maybe 40 feet tall. Apparently, there's a specific variety that grows in, I think, southern Italy that grows way higher than that and gets really big, thick trunks. Mm-hmm. But for the most part, they're really kind of short trees, 30, 40 feet tall, a little bit about the same roundness. Um, but they kind of look messy. You know, yeah. uh, what's his name uh, from the... Uh, the return of the future. Back to the future. Doc, <laughs> Doc Brown. Doc Brown. Yes. You know his hair? Yeah. Have you ever heard of um, um, Albert Einstein? Yes. The tree, in my opinion, as it grows up, it starts to look like their hair. For sure. Just like a wild scientist that is has gone gray, but not like horribly gray, just a little bit gray. Like bigger on one side than on the other side. Yeah, and, and has like unkempt. very unkempt, that's exactly the right word, with like sprays that kind of come out at weird angles mm-hmm. and then like are, are sort of emergent shoots from the rest of the tree. Yeah. Yeah, they look they look wild. They it really just, do. It just kind of grows how it wants to grow, it looks like. It doesn't follow any kind of pattern. It doesn't, it doesn't need your approval right. and it shirks any identity of what it means to look like an olive. It defines it, as we noted. And Casey, the thing maybe beyond the fruit that I am most excited to talk about yeah. is the bark, but more specifically uh, the stem yes. of the olive tree. It is so gnarly, it's isn't it? It's incredible. There's no way to look at it. Everyone, uh, pull out your phones right now. Thank you. We'll wait. And Google the bark or the stem of an olive. And then just go to Google Images, of course. I'm sorry. If you're binging this right now, shame on you. Oh, bing, eh? Jeez. Um, yeah, It to me, it looks a bit like a sort of a version 1.0 of like a bristlecone pine. Yeah, totally. Um, and then, and but that's, they all these trees do it. Like they, they tend to like grow and put out these weird kind of growths for no good reason. And they get really kind of wavy and like yeah. for whatever reason, maybe this side gets a little bit more wood than something in the middle. So you get these kind of fake seams and like columns that come out, mm-hmm. give it a thousand years because these trees can live for several thousand years, especially if they're taken care of. Then all of a sudden you get like these monstrously bulbous looking like elephantine, like I, not even elephantine. I don't know. It looks like something that's like a foot because the base kind of gets really bulbous and kind of jumps out. And yeah, it's very sinuous to me. I just see it. Like sinuous is a good word for it. I, I've, I've said before, like a bag of snakes, like yeah. some of these trees trunks look like a bag of snakes where it's just like a bunch of bands. It's very banded. Yes, there you go. That's um, a great description. Yeah. Well, it looks like that. They they're gray, you know. It's a it's in otherwise a utility bark kind of tree. Um but when it's younger, it it gets like these kind of strappiness to it where it looks almost like it's very um not thread-like, but like really thick threads, kind of strappy, kind of interweaving yeah, around the base. it's gorgeous. It, it looks like you could just grab them and pull them off. And some of them can kind of be a little bit shaggy, but for the most part, you can't actually um, pull anything off or mm. anything like that. They just kind of are. Right. Um, it, it looks like you could, but you can't. Should we talk fruit? Oh, uh, we sure can. Who's unfamiliar with the olive? Raise your hand. Mm, wow, I see that, that many people. Oh, <laughs> I was going to say, I see that nobody. Yeah. Uh, although, you know, if you've never had, I feel, oh, uh, here's a here's a take. Yeah, go this for it. This is not a hot take. It's a medium take. It's, it's just a, an observation. Yeah, yeah, here's a, here's, a, here's a good one. Olives is one of those extremely divisive foods. Oh. I feel that I either meet people who hate olives. Sure. Or who love olives. Interesting. And I think it's a brine thing. Yeah? You know, I mean, like, because you, you would you would put them in and, like, brine them or pickle them to, yeah. some, to an extent? Yeah, and I know that you, Casey, are very anti-pickle. I am anti-pickle. Uh, in the traditional sense of a cucumber pickle. Yes, yes. And I'm you don't like pickled things, period. Generally speaking, that's correct. Do you like... And you also don't like mustard. I don't like which mustard is made very with much. vinegar. That is also true. Do you like olives? I was not expecting to be put quite on, um, quite on the hot seat here. We're all friends here. All right. You don't like olives. I don't like olives. Wow. <laughs> I it's, love it's olive oil, though. Does that help? No, does that's, that that's save completely me? different. Damn. 
It's that's in line with what I know about you, and I'm not surprised, and I'm not disappointed. Well, I'm, just, I'm, I'm glad. I'm glad that there's a, a nice running line, so it's not like I just pick and choose things I don't like right. for some silly reason, like me. Yeah, exactly. I, yeah. I, I chose to like you for completely arbitrary reasons. See what I did there? Uh, yeah, it's product placement. It's the name baby. of the show. <laughs> I think that they are just not that good. They're very salty. They mm-hmm. they have this weird olivey flavor that is not like <laughs> heaven forbid an uh, olive has an olivey flavor. I love olive oil. Like sometimes I just make noodles and just put pepper and olive oil and some like shredded cheese on top and Sounds I just eat delicious, that. Yeah. It's so good. But the rest of it, uh, you, like the, the actual little body of the little little droop, it's a droop. It's a droop. Guys. All yeah. right. There's a little hard pit in the middle, which is the center seed, and then you have that fleshy outer coating. It's yeah, not that good. Just yeah. not that good. Okay. Well, let's talk about the droopiness. All right. Um, what is an olive? Oh, right. It's a spherical to ovoid, green, then ripening to purplish black, little fruit. And it's a droop, of course, and so it comes from these little flowers that come out in little racemes that pop out from the axles of the twigs and the flowers as they pop out. Okay. So all that means is that if you see a leaf, a little flower will come out from the base of where that leaf is attached, and then it'll have a little olive connected to it. Can I say... They're cute little flowers. Aren't they cute? I like I them a lot. Too. Yeah, I, they're like fringed and they have uh, um, a, apparently I think they have 10 sepals on them. Yeah, I see four petals here. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's a very specific um, kind of tree in that regard. The fringe tree, the Chianthus, also has those really nice fringed flowers like that. I also noticed uh, the stamen. Yeah. Is that what they're called? Yeah, yeah, probably. They look like little sugar puffs. Like sugar puff cereal. Oh my gosh, they kind of do. You know what I mean? I think so, yeah. Like the, the little orange bits that are just kind of yeah. going bleh. Like little puffed rice balls. Yeah, yeah they kind of do. Yeah, yeah. It's an adorable flower. I would bet you maybe stamens uh, would actually be the style. That's probably- The style. Yeah, that's okay. probably the female part that takes the pollen in. Oh, okay. Yeah, most likely. Well, there you have it. Well, as it works out, that is that's the extent of it. Like they're 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 they come out really bright green. And then as they as they age and they mature, they turn to a exactly like a half black, which is actually really interesting. They have a term for this, Alex. Are you familiar with the uh, the term for uh, the the half ripened, half not ripened? Olive? I don't think I do know that. What is it? It is veration or veraison. 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 Let's go veraison. Veraison. Oui. Oh, uh, these olives are veraison. Oui, oui, oui. Okay. Man, we're good at French. And that just means that they're half ripened? Yes, it, it actually means specifically the onset of ripening. And it's the same thing or same word that they would use for grapes as they begin to ripen. So you have like green, 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 green. Then all of a sudden, as they just start to turn like shades of purple, uh-huh. they say, oh, it is, it is veraison, which is the act, the onset of ripening. Now I'm thinking of another droop. Yeah. An avocado. Uh-huh. Is that a droop? Yes. Yes. Uh, that it does the same thing. I think so. It is bright green until, and then it has, you start to see a yeah. little bit of a darker color. Like, there you go. And then a ripe avocado is like half black. Yeah. And then it turns full black and it's delicious. And then it's mushy. Which is just the same, actually, funny enough, as the olive. And did you know, Alex, as they are turning this color, um, when they're green, it's from the same family of cells, molecules, that is chlorophyll. So it has that same greenness to it. You know oh, what I mean? Oh, wow. So inside those cells, they're probably making their own energy inside of that fruit while it's green. Wow. Um, they're not quite as intense and like dedicated as you'd see in the leaves, sure. which I should add are evergreen. This is traditionally an evergreen plant. It'll be uh, this green, you know, we say with, uh, with quotes because it's kind of this grayish olive color. Yeah. Uh, is that defining something by defining it, you know? Like, oh, that's, the round is something that is round. Uh, a little bit, yeah. but I think it works All in right. this Perfect. context. We're going to say chartreuse, char- a, a, a very mauve-like chartreuse. A mauve-like chartreuse. Yeah, now if that's not something that's, that's going to be exciting. a little exciting. less clear. <laughs> Well, the uh, so it turns green when it first pops out, or it is green, and then as it ripens, it starts to actually put in a new. It breaks down the chlorophyll, mm-hmm. and then it starts producing a new pigment that's called an anthocyanin. Wow! One more time, anthocyanin. 
anthocyanin yes. is a chlorophyll-like pigment, or uh, it is at least a pigment-like chlorophyll. Yeah, it's a pigment. Yeah, exactly. Okay. And so it's another pigment that comes out, and it's present in a bunch of other plants and vegetables. And it effectively, because it's that darker color, remember green as a pigment, it absorbs all of the other uh, wavelengths of light and, and reflects green, which right. is why that's what we see in our eyes. As a opposed anthocyanin this one specifically and many of them actually will absorb all colors of light so that's why they appear this dark purple black Mm. because they are absorbing all of the light i see so as they absorb that light they actually are acting as a sunscreen that is protecting the (sighs) fruit from getting chemically damaged by the sun you're kidding but at the same time because it's black it actually warms up with the heat so it protects it as sunscreen, absorbs heat energy, and then it helps the fruit to ripen even faster. Because it's ripened by sun, by heat? Yeah, exactly, yeah. That's insane. Isn't that wild? That's so cool. Yeah, so that is the act of them ripening. It does that, but then also at the same time, it makes it all of a sudden pop. Yeah. Which, if you are this small little droop that you want to be eaten so that you can then have that seed go be dropped somewhere else by some bird, if you are this perfect green color that matches in with everything else, Mm -hmm. you don't really stand out. No. But if you turn this really dark, bright, contrasting color, all of a sudden you pop out like no one's business and then everything's going to come and try and get you. Right. For obviously a good reason then on top of that of course we have the oil that's inside the thing yes all that oil starts to get produced because it has certain chemicals which as certain chemicals are broken down and redone as this ripening process happens those chemicals then turn into oils those oils then start to fill up everything and then that gives you a really nice nutritious thing to eat and casey speaking of oils in olives we have plenty more to say about that after the break we'll be right back with more completely arbitrary Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Welcome back to Completely Arbitrary. Today we're talking the olive olea europea. Casey, before the break, we teased that we are going to talk about the delicious oil that comes from these plants. That is right. More specifically, the fruits, the olive, the droop. Yes. Uh, let's talk oil, Casey. Well, this delicious droop creates uh, an oil that is j- just so ubiquitous in cultures around the Mediterranean, Europe, the United States, you name it. Yeah. Olive oil is probably a part of it. Olive oil, most definitely the most uh, widely used cooking oil. Yeah, I think so. And that is for, for good reason. It is It imparts a delicious flavor on mm-hmm. things that you're doing. It's very good for you. Like there are some people that are, what are they, the, the uh, do they call them the centurions or mm. the, the people who live past 100 years? Oh, sure. There's a village in Italy where there's just a ridiculously increased, like a larger amount of these people. And I don't know why this was like in front of my face, but one time I was watching it and this one lady was like, yeah, I just, I, I drink like a shot of olive oil every morning and like bathe in it. Like she just, yeah. olive oil was her, her, her everything. Yeah. Alpha and Omega. Uh, all, Italy and Greece, I think have the, and, and don't fact check me on this, please. I'm begging you, <laughs> uh, have the highest, uh, highest, uh, lifespan. Yeah. 
uh, average lifespan for and olive oil for sure. Sh- I mean, their diet in general mm-hmm. for sure uh, is the probably takes a huge. It probably role goes for it, yeah. Well, so this because it was such like you know it, it was this like everyone was like this is delicious. A, we can eat it. B, we can use the oil and make it so as not only a food but a cash crop. We can sell it to other people. Yeah, it's just the perfect thing to make. So you're familiar, as we've talked about these orchard-like trees for, you know, thousands and thousands of years, people have been growing them in Mm -hmm. an orchard-like fashion, or at least in an agricultural-like fashion. So an orchard, of course, is just a a plantation of trees, but those trees generally, almost exclusively, will be producing some food. So you don't have like an orchard of Douglas firs that create wood. Orchard is usually a food crop of trees that are everywhere. Or something you can use to make like uh uh you know like hemp orchards or something that you can use to make fiber right well generally but we wouldn't generally call those orchards oh cuz they're not trees yes and if they were trees then we would cut them down and it would just be a plantation i see so we wouldn't usually use the term orchard for a tree that were actively cultivating in order to get the product of that tree the tree itself is not the product i understand yeah so of course um way back in the day we didn't have massive and when i say way back in the day i mean when the the first evidence of um the cultivation of olives was like eight thousand years ago wow so people are like we've been doing it for a long time but way back then it would be like a small village that small village found this olive tree so they collected the olives they ate the the fruit threw the pits out those pits grew then all of a sudden like they're oh well cool we got another olive tree right Mm -hmm. here growing right next to their house or they realize wow these are seeds because we understand what agriculture is and how to grow things they start planting these trees, but they do it in a subsistence kind of way, right? What does that mean? Uh, that means you're growing things to eat, to live on, where okay. you're like a subsistence farmer. You're not growing things for cash crops. You're growing them because you're eating all that stuff. I see. Or maybe you're selling a small amount of it and then eating the majority. Okay. So if you are doing this as a subsistence uh, village, then you guys aren't really importing things to eat necessarily. You might be trading, but you would be getting all of your fish from the Mediterranean, mm with your little boats. You would have small amounts of grains and and, uh, roots and things like that that you're growing in your crops around. You would go out and forage for different wild things that are growing in in your region. And then as this develops, you'd start to say, well, okay, I'm going to eat this this almond and this hazelnut and this other thing. You toss out and you realize you can plant these seeds as well. And these trees start growing around your house, around your property. And then I'll say, okay, cool. That area over there, I'm going to plant a bunch of trees. So you'd have all of these different specific varieties of trees, right? That are growing food for you specifically. Okay. Trees are great for food. If you like the food and they they make good stuff, A, it's usually a bunch of food. So like one olive tree can produce a ridiculous amount of olives. Yeah. One walnut tree, a ridiculous amount of walnuts. Um, so in terms of the, the amount of food you get for the amount of effort you put in, you just let the tree grow and you're going to get a bunch of food from it. Um, You also get like really high quality nuts and seeds, things that have high value in terms of nutrition. So the olive oil is like this quintessentially perfect thing because you had all the fats and all the proteins inside the olive flesh that really was a boon for your existence if you are just living on what you're growing. Yeah. And then you'd have all these other nut trees and fruit trees growing around, so you have this really cool kind of little small orchard, right? And this is the same. You go to um, East Asia. You go to anywhere where we kind of learned how to grow these things. Nutmeg's a great example. And the mango and the avocado, anywhere you go, there's been people who have been realizing this tree's great. I can actually just plant this seed. It will grow. And now you've created a little tiny orchard of multiple little trees. And Casey, I was curious as you were talking. Yeah. The etymology of the word orchard. Ooh. Because it's a, it's an interesting word to me for some reason. I yeah. don't know why. What is it? I never even thought about it. Glossed over it. Like well, a dummy. here we go. Old old English, right? So it, I, there's a bunch of there's a bunch of little family mm-hmm. trees here. Yeah. So I'm I'm gonna cut to the chase and say it comes from uh, wurtgard. Ah, wurt meaning vegetable or plant root mm-hmm. in old English. Yep, and gard meaning yard. 
Ah, yeah. So it was it was fr- like uh, plant in your yard, or yes. like a yard plant, like a garden, basically. Yeah, it's it's exactly, a it's yeah. a big garden. Yeah, which it would be probably in um, contrast to wild foraging, you know. Yes, Whereas, exactly. Yeah, so that makes it very much an, a, a human related thing, yeah. not just a tree. You go into the woods, you collect, you know, chestnuts, and then you come back. Yes. Anyway, so that's kind of how this all first started. Very grassroots, if you want to give it that term, where everyone's just like, you know, okay, cool. This is almost by accident. I learned that I can grow an olive right next to my house. Yeah, it sounds like a pretty casual process. Yeah, and then as that sort of, you know, this little tiny small village starts to get a little bit bigger, a little bit bigger, and starts to develop more like the standard European and Middle Eastern commerce that mm-hmm. has become quite co- or quite common and has spread across the entire world in terms of culture at this point. All of a sudden, you realize, well, okay, how about I just like plant 30 of these trees and I start selling them to other villages and trading them around. The trees or the, the olives? Uh, the olives. Okay. Sorry, you plant them, they grow, you start collecting those olives and then you now trade those because you got the best land to do that. Sure. And then you sell those over to somebody else or you sell them to these other traders that come by and they're like, wow, we've never had this before. What is this, olive oil? How did you make that? Mm. And then all of a sudden you start developing it as a cash crop and then it becomes this thing that becomes ubiquitous in your diet because you learn to make oil from it. And then all of a sudden you realize that it goes from a small little, um, you know, family run thing in your backyard to all of a sudden you have a vast estate with 100, 200 trees growing on it. That's way more olives than you could ever eat. It's way more olives than you need to make X amount of olive oil. Yeah. And you start trading it more as a commodity. Once that happens, and I like I usually say, you add a dash of capitalism to something and right. it completely ruins it. Yes, that didn't quite happen this way because they were already growing in huge orchards, but in like the sort of sustainable way in terms of like small villages and like you know Roman times. Mm-hmm. So at that time, there were orchards all over the place, but they were fairly small, and you would get together everyone during the harvest day. Which is still to this day, some people use like specific like, you know, measurements, like a spectrometer to figure it out. Hmm. But, you know, some people like, I don't know, my grandma goes out and tries it. And then when it's done, that's, when she comes back and says it's time, oh, that's sure. when we go harvest the things. Right? I, wonder if it, I wonder if that information is in the farmer's almanac. Oh, I bet you it is. It probably is. I, I've always tried to access it, but there's a paywall and I just can't bring myself to buy it. My mother my mother had whatever you need to get a, a farmer's, farmer's almanac every oh, really? year because she grew up on a farm. Yeah. See, that's what you got to get. I guess. Yeah. You have to have that like uh, that background, and they're like, "You're one of us." Yeah. Here you are. Well, I bet you you're right. Has it as it happens though? We we either do it that traditional way or not. However, what I'm getting at is that over time, it essentially gets bigger and bigger until you can't have just a village do it. You have to like hire migrant workers to come in and help you out or laborers of any kind. Yeah. Um, but then also the technology develops. So at one point you plant as many as you can as close together to take up and be as much, uh, take up as much land, be as efficient as possible with your space without crowding the trees out. You want to give them enough, enough room to grow wide, but then you can kind of walk between them and pick the stuff, right? Yeah. Over time though, um, as you want to get up and up, you have to, in order to get the, uh, the, the fruit at the exact right moment, you have to harvest it when it's ripe. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Uh, in order to get the fruit no, wait. at the right moment, you have to harvest it when it's ripe. Yeah. So sure. it's a little circular there. <laughs> yeah. No. <laughs> in order to, so if you, uh, as, a, as, a, as a fruit is, is going through its, its ripening process, there's a point when it is perfect. Yes. For whatever you're making. Yes. If you do it a little bit early, it's going to be kind of the more robust, spicy, a little bit more bitter olive oil. Uh And then as it goes further towards ripening, those bitter compounds kind of reduce and you get a little bit more oil, but you get an oil that's a little bit more uh, mellow and it's a little bit more flowery. Oh, interesting. So the change in sort of the, uh, the flavor profile um, is different as you go through the time. And also that's if you're making olive oil. A more ripe olive reduces in a like a, maybe a less flavorful oil? Um, potentially. It's just a different flavor. Okay, more where, mellow flavor? Yeah, it's not quite as bitter and like, you know, spicy. It's oh, a, sure. It's a little bit more mellow kind of idea. I guess that makes sense the, that the younger olives would be, would have, would have more uh, kind of like intense, like bitter flavors. Yeah, and mostly it's because they don't want to be eaten right there. They want to make sure the seed oh. is fully mature. And that's what this really is a proxy of. 
the outside of the fruit is mature to be eaten when the seed is mature to be planted. Interesting. So that's kind of that you know thing. That's why it tastes you know so bad for eating things that are unripe. Doesn't want to be eaten. Doesn't want to be eaten. Precisely. Yet. Yet. Yeah. It's like oh, ho ho hold on. Yeah. Um, so the big thing is, um, if they're trying, if you have, you know, let's say at this rate, fast forward to today, we have say, you know, million tree, like orchards, which at this point are just like these factory farms for olive trees in Argentina and Australia, the Mm. United States, you have it all over Europe, all over the Middle East and going wherever there's that Mediterranean ish climate. Right. So once you're at that level, if you want to harvest your million trees at when they're all just at that right moment, you have to harvest a million trees in like a day. <laughs> it's impossible. You just can't do it. Yeah. So they started changing over, you know, this is over hundreds of years. They started changing what the orchard looks like based on the technology at hand as to how you can do this. And this has been the same for almost every orchard there, there ever existed. Can I take a guess? Yeah. Do you just plant... The trees, like, you stagger them by a week so they all develop, like, in kind of a, a gradient. <laughs> oh, I wish it was that simple. Once they're planted, they all they all do it at the same time. Oh. So they all put on the same oh, fruit of at the same time. What a stupid yeah. thing to say. <laughs> no, I love that. It's a child's remark. I'm it so was, sorry. Which, honestly, no. Your, your, your childlike vision of the world is so endearing, Alex. That is so insulting. <laughs> <laughs> I know it was going to be. Sorry. I couldn't resist. <laughs> <laughs> so not quite that simple what they do is they spread them out put them in like straight lines and make it so that as they develop these new things maybe it's just you have to get to the outside of the tree so it has to be wider a little bit wider you take this big rake they used to just take sticks and you just hit the stick sure. on the branch and the everything falls down if it works yeah if it works they've also had these little like combs essentially where they mm-hmm. just like comb down the branch and it pulls off the branch and the leaves go through but then the bigger fruit hits the comb and gets popped off sure that's a that's a 2.0 idea exactly now 3.0 now we've hit the industrial revolution oh is this the shakers this is the shakers <laughs> have you, you've seen this yeah i've seen this not for olives <laughs> but like for nut trees yeah or i guess i guess you could do it with anything oh everyone should go look that up they're hilarious it is a small tractor with a big clamp on the front yeah you drive up to the tree and the clamp is is uh is padded so it doesn't hurt the tree oh good yes it's like a wrench yeah. so you drive the wrench into the tree and then you close the wrench so uh-huh. it's holding the trunk and then you shake it all yeah. about and then it's just like i i imagine uh the you know like i think was it 1960s when like it was like women who are you know stay-at-home moms you know do this and they they had those like bands that they would sit oh and yes stand around it would just like jiggle them yes it is that exactly <laughs> it's exactly that kind of thing yes and i i still don't understand if that actually works uh i don't know the it, the the for the, the, yeah, for the 1960s thing, ab- i yeah. think absolutely not probably not what would that i don't yeah. even know what that would even be doing just make you throw up probably In- increase blood flow to your stomach <laughs> yeah so eh, whatever but yes it's kind of like that except maybe not a strap so uh, if you have the chance everyone out there go google that real fast yeah it's you know hilarious. what we'll put a we'll put a little video of it on yeah. uh on our post for this episode perfect so they have that and um essentially they were like yeah it works and then one of these things i was reading is saying oh also they have like these these uh, um tents that kind of come around they have these like boom arms that take mm. a, a big tarp and they go completely around the bottom of the tree oh. shake it and then all the things fall into that tarp and yep. then funnel down into a thing and they have them all collected in a bucket as well. That's pretty good. Now, that's 3.0 if I've ever heard about that's it. That's pretty good. The thing, though, is this guy that I was reading, I, they will post this article on or this, an access to this book. It's such an easy, like, you know, well, it's like a bullet point question and then this guy just answers it in a really effective way. Huh. Like, you know, it's all, it's a, it's an old scientific book or something. Um but he ended up, he was like, yeah, it works really well until the trees are big enough that when you put the shaker on, the tree doesn't move and the shaker machine moves. <laughs> He's like, that's when it becomes uh, not that useful. Yeah. So what, you just you just have to do it the old-fashioned way? Oh, no, no, no. You then design your entire orchard to get to trees that are this big, and they have mm. this thing called the Colossus. And it is like a 28-ton machine that drives over the top of these trees. Oh, yeah. And it has like wheels that are spaced apart, so it goes perfectly down these aisles. Uh-huh. Big machine comes over the top and then sits over the top of the tree and has like these, um, you know, if you're going into a sports game or like through the, used to be, you go anywhere and you would go through a gate, and the gate has these like, 
forks coming out, you can push it one way yes. and you can go in and then it like goes through, but you can't go the opposite way. Uh-huh. And there's like those gates, uh, the, the, the forks that are, uh, I guess they're more tines. They like stick straight out. So you, it like almost looks like these, these combs going through each other. Yes. That is essentially what it looks like. Somehow it doesn't destroy the tree. It just goes over the top of the tree. All these little things come out, clear the whole tree worth of um, the olives, puts it into a machine that's then put into a big collector truck that's driving behind it. I'll say this. The Colossus is the death of the charm of olive production. It, oh, 100%. That just sounds <laughs> disgusting. Yeah. Like, that is so <laughs> gross and gaudy and oh, dumb. These were harvested by the Colossus. That is so you dumb. You must pray to it before you eat it. I mean, that's like, that's like you know, that's, that's kind of late stage... Right, uh, capitalist all all of harvesting totally is yeah it mechani- mechanizes the whole thing you know you don't have people out there collecting it with their hands but yeah. some people say well yeah great you know less disease or something like that so yeah, it's got these you know these sides to it but you're right sure. it's certainly watching these gigantic machines go over you these you know revered trees that have been cultivated and loved one book that I was reading literally was we started this said that sometimes trees are so revered that families will will. designate them to their descendants, the tree itself. Wow. Not necessarily the land, just the tree. Sure. And then they'll actually give it to individuals, multiple people, but like certain parts of the tree. This branch is for you, Alex. I love you. Wow, no kidding. This branch is for you, Sarah. I love you. You're my second favorite. This branch is for you, Scott. You suck. And it's like a little dead twig or something. (laughs) Is that real? Yeah, apparently. That is... Uh, next level. I love it. Yeah. Um, so these trees, not only that, they live for thousands of years, they get really big, and they have these old orchards that have been in production for thousands of years mm-hmm. on these like old estates in Italy and Greece and places like that, like you were saying. And then you have these newfangled ones that are designed for these Colossus machines in California that are just you know crushing through and getting a million gazillion things at once. Yeah. So then it takes like 40 days to do 100 trees a day. That's now your million trees on your million acres. You wow. Know? So that mechanization kind of sucks. It takes all the love away from it. Uh, but that's that's it. That's where you're at with like this progression of orchards. And this happens with a bunch of different things. Apple orchards are really similar. I mean, people will go out and pick these individual apples, but they also will, you tend to find that essentially the bigger and the more industrial your scale, the more things you have to put into it to either make it work or to make it not fail. So the big thing that is now happening with olives is that in Italy, they are getting a, um, a invasive disease called Xylella fastidiosa. Wow. And that is actually, it's, um, we're not sure where it's from. I don't. I don't believe anyone's quite sure. It might be from the United States. Mm. Um, it's here in Oregon. We've had this, and it gets on all sorts of different plants. Um, notably, people have recently found it in the big leaf maple. I think in the last five years or so. Hmm. However, it will get attacked and it's spread by little leaf hopper, leaf sucking insects. So as soon as that insect bites a plant that has it, the bacteria goes into it. Then it goes over to another plant, bites that plant, and the bacteria goes into the plant. Like an aphid. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So it ends up doing that, and it gets taken over to these different plants via this individual little insect Mm -hmm. or whole colonies of this insect. Then it has gone over there, I think, in 2010s when they initially found it in Italy. And, like, these ancient, ancient trees are now dying. Like, 2,000-year-old trees that have been the center of somewhere for that long. I mean, so, so sad. It's so sad. It's like the cultural, like, importance of that tree um, to your family, it's it is your family. Essentially, this branch represents you know how this was given down by your great great grandparents to each of your branches of your family. How metaphorical can you get? It's your family tree. Literally, it's your family tree. So, unfortunately, though, you uh, it the the insect and the disease they don't care about your family tree. It's the natural progression of life. They're yeah. going to go about it. So you get these vast vast deaths of huge acres of trees. And why is this, Alex? It's because it's a monoculture. Right. And that's the big thing that we have covered in the American Elm episode, for Mm -hmm. example. You plant nothing but American Elms, one disease comes through, and you've now decimated your entire population of whatever that was. That's right. Didn't I mean, isn't isn't almonds sort of the same way with the the colony collapse and the bees? Yeah, exactly. If, If you kill this other species that's 
integral to your thing, then all of a sudden, or it gets a disease for whatever reason, then now you are now uh, hobbling your ability to produce almonds. Yeah, I guess it's slightly different. Yeah, it's that's from like a different perspective. Yeah, that's like side. second degree, but still, you're putting all your eggs in one basket, and then all of your eggs to make those eggs are in another single basket. Mm. If you lose one of those egg baskets, then you're screwed entirely. Yeah, you need to back up your media. You gotta do it. Yeah, you gotta diversify. And that is where we're leading next in this little story is that as people were like really freaking out ironically we're in a pandemic and especially in the united states but all over the world there's been politics about well it's not real i don't believe it like this no i'm not going to listen to this like and there's been this like back and forth like disbelief almost well it turns out that was happening happening exactly the same in italy when this first came out with the olive virus yeah because they it, it got in one tree or some trees and so the agronomists were like, we need to stop this containment and just kill all the trees that have it right now. Yeah. Because if we get rid of all those trees and all the insects that were on them, then good, we're, we're done. So if there was a tree that was infected, they would go over and say, we need to kill this tree immediately, even if that's a thousand-year-old tree. Hmm. So naturally, people were really upset and they didn't believe it. And they said, this is a conspiracy. This tree's not actually dying. <sighs> uh, Monsanto brought this in because they want to kill all these trees and then plant new trees that are you know, uh, genetic modified tree so which are i mean that's not an unreasonable thing to be afraid of monsanto's done that with a huge amount of our our food industry yes i i I have no problem thinking that a monster is going to be a monster yeah but in this time it's the the government and like these honest and hard-working scientists saying no this is a problem this is the best way at this moment when the problem is really small stamp it out nip it in the bud so unfortunately they didn't listen to it and people were like chaining themselves to trees those trees died and then they killed other trees and so it's kind of one of those things where it's like you're you're just not paying attention to the science wow. listening to the, these conspiracy theories and literally in the article that we'll, we'll have it posted on our website they literally call out the exact parallels with um, COVID-19 so moving forward in this article, they specifically call out these people who say, There's, look at this, this one branch that my grandfather grafted on, you know, from a different variety of hmm. this, of the same tree, you know, olive, Olea europea, grafted it onto this tree, and they say, this one's still alive. Hmm. So this one variety of this tree is still resistant to Xylella fastidiosa. All the rest of the tree is essentially dead. All the other trees around it are essentially dead. This is one variation? This is one variation. One variation, one cultivar that is grafted onto the side of one individual tree. Wow. That was keeping the whole tree alive. Wow. The rest of the tree had like completely kicked the bucket. All those leaves and twigs had died. Because essentially um, you get the same as uh, for the, the xylella. What it does is it goes down and clogs all of the vascular system of the tree as it oh. like grows and, and eats carbohydrates. So essentially, they die from uh, uh, cholesterol poisoning, where they just literally their veins get blocked, Plaque so they they up. can't do it precisely. That sucks. So in this case, with the um, with the new variety that they found, or they noticed this variety was okay, they're like, oh, sweet, okay, maybe we just need to start planting this variety. Mm-hmm. But then, um, if you start planting that variety everywhere, you're just kicking the can down the road when something now can affect that variety, and you have 100% that variety everywhere, Right. you have the same problem. Yeah. So in this case, um, the they basically say, yeah, this is a good solution. This might be solving the problem. We might be able to do this, but what is the, the answer? It's diversity. Yes. And this this is one of the biggest problems with um, any orchard anywhere is you're planting almost the same exact thing for acres and acres and acres. So over here we have apples and pears in Hood River and all over California, there's all these trees, exactly the same trees. And we go through and we have to spray them constantly with whatever chemicals are in vogue at the moment for whatever reason so that it can keep all of the pests down. When you do that, you're just killing almost every insect there is including the beneficial insects, and you have this inert kind of area. Yeah. So that causes all sorts of other problems down the line because you can get super bugs. One bug becomes really good at defending itself and it can survive. It procreates. Now all of its children can survive. And then you have that arms race of trying to you know, get a new drug that can kill the thing. And now you have a new thing that's resistant to that drug. Right. Same idea. So in this case, um, it goes back to what we were talking about with the apple. I think you asked me, who cares about finding wild apples or who cares about finding these other wild species or like where exactly 
is the very first native species of mm. this tree from? That sounds like a Casey talking point. Oh, it, no, you asked the question. You said, why is this even important? No, you get credit, Alex. I'm not going to let you sh- push this out on me. Uh. Sorry. <laughs> Alex, you had a great idea and you're just so disappointed. <laughs> oh, I didn't know it was good. I thought it was a bad I thought it was oh, a bad idea. No, 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 no. I believe you asked to I, say who cares about this yeah, thing. Yeah, why should why should we go try and find where the very first apple is or where there's that native population? Okay. And I said, well, it has a bunch of genes in it that we don't know about. Oh, sure, yes. It's a gene base. So, it's the same thing with um with olives. There is a natural native olive from this region. You can probably find not very many. There's a couple other varieties. Um, However, Alex, if we can continually find these other genes and keep crossing them and keep crossing different kinds of different olives with um, old varieties that have not been, uh, you know, put into cultivation for many, many years and decades, centuries, then we might be able to maintain this genetic base, this pool to choose from and keep finding resistant varieties that have these other attributes we want. High oil value, Mm -hmm. great color, great tastiness, allegedly, and all these other things. So that is kind of where the where the the story ends in terms of orchards. It's almost it becomes too big and it does fail. It's definitely not too big to fail. Yeah, where you're putting all your eggs in one basket and then you have to constantly kill anything that comes near it because if one thing gets in there, it ruins your entire country's biggest crop and your cultural heritage. And I think I think I've said this before about another another mono crop. Mm-hmm. Or is that what's called mono crop? Yeah. Uh, you know, diversity, diversity uh, it's a beautiful metaphor. Like, diversity makes, makes us stronger. Exactly. It creates resistance and resilience yes. most of the time. That's right. Which makes you want to go back to the subsistence farmers where they said, well, we have some olives, but we also have all these other things. Yeah. Or we just planted the olive that grew from this seed that we ate. Well, Casey, I think that's a great point to get into our review of the olive, the Olea Europea. That's what I think. Uh, Here's how it works. We're going to give our final thoughts on this tree and then give it a rating of 0 to 10 golden poems of honor for our season four plant-based diet. Yep. Casey, as our resident expert, will begin with you. Well, thank you. I think that the the olive is a great, a great tree. I think it's a great tree. It lasts for thousands of years. So as opposed to, um, I think there's some that I read about that are like 2,500 years old, 2,200, mm. like real old trees. I love the fact that they are so culturally connected as a thing that exists as a place. Not, not the fruit, not the food, but the tree itself. The tree itself is revered and the tree itself is like the branches of it get sent down to the the descendants as you know my gift to you here's my chair yeah here's my car here's my carriage you can have my horse you get the goodest best branch of my olive tree right because you're my favorite and you rustle their hair it's pretty cool yeah i like that i think that's great as a cultural thing usually like you know pomegranates and other things huge cultural things but that's the fruit that's just the fruit it's not the whole pomegranate shrub bush tree thing wait did this person give out a car and a horse and a carriage yeah yeah yeah. what year do you think this death occurred 1916 okay well okay yeah i mean i'm just going by so the we're stats, talking like yeah. a model t this is yeah this is model t like og when yeah. was the the first godfather i don't know it, it was that year the 70s, I think. Mm, oh, no, the f- when did it take place? Oh, I don't know. Okay. The well, 20s, I think. Mm, anyway, stop asking questions, Alex. All right. Go ahead. <laughs> I'm just joking. Always ask questions. So whenever he gave it's like Model a scientific T, scientific question. I was calling you out on the on the on, on my my uh, the, the logic gap, my made up will that I was uh, just coming up with at the time. I love when you ask questions, Alex. Thanks I a love lot. It. Yeah, really good job. <laughs> so okay, back to the olive. I love olive oil. I think it tastes delicious. I love cooking with it. Yeah. Did you know, you uh, many times, if it's a black olive in a can, they actually artificially turn it black. <laughs> yeah, usually it's it's uh, it's cut before that. Then they add in some certain chemical, turns it black. Wow. Did you know, extra virgin <laughs> olive oil has no other chemicals in it. It's, it's exactly what it is. They press it, squirt it out. Mm-hmm. That's 
E-V-O-O, as they call it in the hip world. Whereas if you have other kinds, they are actually less flavorful, higher smoke point, but they add in different chemicals to make it pure. Interesting. Yeah, which is kind of like, come on, it's already pure. It's from a tree. By definition, it's perfect. Sure. So uh, these things taken in mind, it makes me think, okay, this is a, this is a bit of an industry. I don't like it that, uh, I don't like that this tree is, uh, is the equivalent of the, those, those muggles, uh, jammed into the matrix. You know, that Neo goes out and sees all these people in, like in the lines, you know, I've never seen the matrix. Are you kidding me? Don't get hung up on Did that. Did we talk about this Finish already? Finish your fucking review. I don't know if I can anymore, Alex. I, oh my God. Okay. All right. I'm going to, I'm going to try and go through this, but you're going to hear the shock in my voice this whole time. Uh. I think my voice is cracking. <laughs> Anyway, it's it's this uh, you know it's uh, they're they're a, they're a cash crop they're a big crop they mm-hmm. they're causing trouble because of course you know every, there's thousands and thousands of acres but they're so delicious and I love I'm gonna focus in on like the old world Mediterranean view of the olives where the it's so revered. It's it's almost like wine in France, you know. Yeah. Where the the terrier, the color, the uh, the the veraison of the whole thing, right. is super super important. And I think for that, not to mention, let's get back to the facts of it. It's an evergreen conifer, or I'm sorry, an evergreen tree that can be grown here in Oregon as a street tree. Beautiful, produces little teeny tiny olives, mm. and it is a stunningly gorgeous trunked tree. You know how I feel about a good trunk. You love a good trunk. Love you love some trunk. junk in the trunk. So I'm going to give the olive a solid 7.7. 7.7. 7. 7.7 for this tree because it lasts a long time. It's revered as a tree, and I love olive oil so much. I think it's almost a problem. I think giving it 7.7, like in the same, they're the same number, yeah. it, it's stronger than it would be a 7.6 because it's unified. Yeah, or a 7.9 or 8 in this case also. Yeah, Yeah, true. I think so. That would actually make it a little less. That's, All right. That's what I think, Alex. I think it's a. I think it's a solid tree. Wonderful. And, you know, that's what. That's what I'm going to give it. A great rating for the olive. Yeah, it really 7. came out. Seven point seven golden poems of honor from yeah, Casey yeah. Clapp. Yeah, that's uh, specifically cold pressed from Casey Clapp. Okay. Yeah, just being clear. Cold pressed golden poems of honor. <laughs> yeah. This delicious. season is getting out of hand. <laughs> it's getting uh, a pretty niche. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Uh, Where are you at here? I uh, I really like the olive. I didn't know almost anything about it until today. How do you, do you feel like you have increased your knowledge somewhat? Yeah. Perfect. By 100%. In fact, I wasn't totally sure it was a tree. Oh, okay. Uh, of course, I've heard olive tree. Sure. You know, okay, yeah. But, you know, these things are nebulous sometimes. Yeah. What if it was like technically a vine? Right. You know? Yeah. <laughs> You're telling me. Doesn't, a, doesn't an olive seem like something that might grow on a vine? Mm, yeah, I can see that. Yeah, I think it does. It does. Yeah. I, I associate it with grapes because it's mm. Italian and grapes grow on a vine. Yeah, that's anyway, true. That's the that's the logic I made there. Yeah. Isn't olive branch, isn't that piece like extend an olive branch? Oh, yes. Isn't uh-huh. that also there? Okay, yeah. yeah. Sorry. Not trying to change anything. Also, also a Greek of Greek origin, I God, think. God, man. man we got to get out of this country. Um... I like the olive a lot, and I could I could go into why, but I think my score will speak for itself. Eight point eight golden poems. Wow, of honor. stronger than an eight point nine or an eight point seven. Yeah, really. What uh, what gives it that extra one point one? As opposed uh, from to your score. Yeah. Um. I don't know. Mike, I think just that my cones are my own and I, I'm feeling it. Yeah, I think that's fair. All right, all right. It's all like, right. it doesn't really, to me, it doesn't really have a drawback. It's just sort of like, and w- wow. well, why not give it a 10, Alex? Well, I'm, I don't, I'm not feeling a 10 yeah, in my heart. you know what? It doesn't have a drawback, but yeah, I think that's that's just a gut feeling, you know? Sometimes yeah. you just, I mean, we I know everyone thinks we just made this up. We've spent years developing our criterion, criteria for our golden poems of honor. Yeah. So I just, just to be clear... Everyone thinks it's like everyone takes the name completely arbitrary at face value. Exactly. But there's like and it, we have supercomputers running an algorithm yeah. almost 24/7. Yeah, honestly, we actually bought them from Bitcoin miners mm-hmm. and uh, we had to use them over for this algorithm. It's so intense. I think we should move to Ethereum. I think we should. Yeah, so Ethereum miners. It's worse for the environment. So. Oh, good. Perfect. And as you know, uh, let me just stop the recording here. As you know, Casey, you and I are sort of like evil uh, uh, land barons. I'm glad you stopped it while I admit that I'm invested heavily in coal. <laughs> anyway, okay, Oh, unpause. that's so not funny. All right, uh, that was our review of the olive tree. Wow, what a good showing. Man, that's just, that makes me want to go eat olive thing. No, I'm sorry, olive oil 
not eat olives. Yes, I think I think the I think we should induct the olive tree into some sort of hall of honor. Oh, olive honor, olive honor. Oh man, well then, okay, we're gonna have to have we're gonna have to come up with a whole new algorithm to figure out what makes it into the hall of honor. How about we just go? I mean, I don't. How about we do? Uh, how about we do a uh, into the golden arboretum? Mm, yeah, I like that. We induct. We plant an olive tree in the golden arboretum. Yep, perfect. Well done. Casey, it's time for our completely arbitrary Q&A. Today's question is from Katie Munoz. Munoz. Sorry, Katie. (laughs) We apologize right off the bat. Katie says, and this is from the Patreon. Katie says, love, love, love your podcast. I understand that many fruit trees are not self-fertile. I can see the evolutionary advantage, but I can't figure out how the female flowers would know what pollen to reject. Ah. I've been wondering about this for years. Casey, I have no idea what this question means. Do you? Um, yes, yes, I do. Um, so what it is essentially referring to is a, a the idea of self-pollination, Yeah. Um, which would be, you know, if you have one tree that doesn't have perfect flowers, um, or if it does, um, it has a female and male flower on the same tree, why would the male flower producing the pollen not just have pollen that goes right up to the female flower and then pollinate it and then create a new a new tree? Well, isn't that kind of across the board a bad idea for living things? It generally is, yeah. Now, some trees can do it and they're just like, okay, cool, we're just going to essentially clone myself and then and then have it work. Clonal reproduction. Exactly, which is a little bit different. I, I shouldn't, I shouldn't oh, okay. uh, put those together. Clonal rep- reproduction is you grow a new tree from the root like the aspen. Oh yeah, um, or you 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 just take a clipping and you graft it onto something else, and or then a, now you have the same thing. Like how a willow's branch will break off and grow a new willow. Yeah, that's that is exactly it's a vegetative reproduction where it, it clones itself. Um, so in this case, um, there's it is a bad idea because you want that bigger diversity of genes to add into your your gene pool. If it's just yours back and forth, it tends to get a lot more mutations. Mm. I don't know exactly why that's happened. I know this has come up before, and I. I failed to look into it. Diversity makes us stronger. Exactly. So this this happens at all the way down to that gene level. Yeah, right? that's cool. So otherwise, um, the way that some plants do it is they would actually have um, one of their their female the female parts of their plant would not be active while the male parts are. If it's one individual oh, flower, sure. um, there's I, there's one flower. Why can I not think of it? Gosh, I'm just it's right at the tip of my tongue. Magnolia. I don't. We've talked about magnolias turning off and on. Their yes, parts. and so that yeah, they do that. But there's another one I'm thinking of explicitly that I just can't recall off the top of my head. Mm. Um, the 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 female part, yeah, the the flower wouldn't close again. It would just kind of turn on and turn off. And you need water. The pollen needs to land on something that's moist because that water then kind of activates it and allows it to grow down into the uh, through that style down into the ovary. Oh sure, into the ovum, the egg itself. It, the same principle that that reminds me so much of if you're putting moisturizer on your skin, yeah, you should get your skin wet first because as the as the water dries, it'll your skin will absorb oh my uh, God. that moisturizer as opposed to it onto dry putting it onto dry skin, yeah, uh, it may not absorb as well. It's probably exactly the same idea, yeah. at least to some extent. There's probably <laughs> or, some, or maybe yeah, not, and, or maybe not. And I'm just I, drawing yeah. a mental connection. Hey, that's okay because I do that. I do this all the time to help give people an idea of um, of how this works. Yeah. Even if it's not exactly the same, the principles probably at a fundamental level are the same. Yeah. Anyway, the pollen grain. Um, sometimes it is just outright rejected. Like the the flower, the female flower would be like no. Hmm. It just says no. It just physically cannot grow there. Other times, it would not be wet. It would be dry. So if the pollen grain lands on there, it just can't can't grow, can't do it. Interesting. And then so if the other one comes and it lands on there, it would have just enough gene difference that the flower would essentially not block it, and then it can grow down into it. Hmm. So that's what happens sometimes. Other times, they try to avoid it by growing on different sides of the tree. So conifers do this a lot, where you can have... Um, the female cones would be at the top of the tree and the male cones would be at the bottom of the tree so then oh. it doesn't it has a le- less likely opportunity to just go straight up and land on the, the female flowers. Smart. Yeah. So 
like you said, it's it's the right idea across the board because diversity creates stronger um, genes that have fewer mutations, so you have a better chance of having a super successful offspring mm-hmm. for whatever happens. Um, and so that essentially is that. That's how they do it. They they generally turn it off, turn it on. Some will have avoided it entirely by just having um, a one tree that produces male flowers, one that produces female flowers, and that's dioecious, avoids the problem entirely because you can never do it to yourself. You always have to have your thing go to someone else's tree, and then that tree will be the, the one that produces the seeds. Great. Interesting. So, yeah. So it's a it's it's down to like fundamental small little gene things and then having certain parts turn on, certain parts turn off at different times. And then of course ending with the uh sometimes it's just genetically and physically not acceptable for whatever reason. And it it might be that it does get into a flower, but then once it gets down, that flower just doesn't or the, the seed doesn't react until a new one comes in and can kind of bash its way through. So there you have it. There it is. Thank you so much for your question, Katie. And if you have a question for Casey about trees, email us at arbitrarypod at gmail.com. Follow us on Instagram at arbitrarypod. That's A-R-B-O-R-T-R-A-R-Y pod. Or support this podcast on our Patreon, patreon.com slash arbitrarypod. You can join the Arboretum for $5 a month and get two bonus episodes fortnightly. That's the perfect term. I love it. Or you can join the Cone of the Month Club and get a die-cut cone sticker illustrated by an independent artist every single month mm-hmm. with a little info card. It's very fun and cute. Casey. Alex. I want to say something. Here. You want to rub yourself in olive oil is what it is. Uh, yes, if you give me five minutes. Yeah. Casey, we have shirts. Oh, my gosh. That now, is so right. Now, we're recording this episode a little ahead of time, so it will be hilarious if we sell out again by the time this <laughs> by premieres. By the time this comes. And if that's the, it's, that's the case, I'm really sorry for saying this. Yeah. But as of right now, we have shirts back in our shop. Mm-hmm. If you're wanting a completely arbitrary shirt, arbitrarypod.com slash merch. You can find them there. A bunch, bunch of other stickers and sticker sheets and... Uh, many fun things happening there. Yeah, and we're hoping to uh, to do a uh, to have this not happen again, where we have some yeah. some huge gap in it. So hopefully, keep checking back, and we'll have uh, not only shirts of the kind you already may be familiar with, but new shirts with new cool designs. That's right. We're working on ramping up our merch. Uh, you know, I will say, Casey and I are sole members of this business that we're making yeah we have no help uh your partner hannah is extremely helpful oh my gosh packing things and and packing the cone of the month club yeah but essentially you and i run this business alone Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. uh so we're very grateful for everybody's patience in us doing basically anything try yeah i don't know if you know this but we didn't start this saying hey alex i know you know how to make a podcast let's do that and turn it into something that's successful and fun now we just uh, started talking into microphones one day because we have a specific set of skills (laughs) and then we quickly learned that we need more sets of skills yes it's it's very challenging and I, i know many of you are very patient and I don't think we've had anybody reach out to us and be upset in any way that we yeah. are so behind the ball on all this stuff. But it's it's a challenge, and it's new to us, and uh, it takes some time and and some skill set learning. So we're we're very appreciative of everybody who supports the podcast in yeah. any way. Even listening to it supports us. Yes. Um, and that's all I got to say about that. Casey. Alex, great work. You too. We're going to see you next week. Thank you so much for listening to Completely Arbitrary. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Oh, bye-bye. Completely Arbitrary is produced by Alex Croson and Casey Clapp. Our artwork is by Jillian Barthold, and our music is by Aves and the Mini Vandals. And you can support the podcast at patreon.com slash arbitrarypod. And find additional readings at completelyarbitrary.com. Thanks for listening.